Hello, hello. Welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 300. That's right. For October 27th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing a highly destructible first-person shooter. A flower blooms in a road, poisoning the AI well for art. A real estate broker commission. OpenAI sets up catastrophic events team. And there's a typo in that. The Powerball Pretender. SNL Best Skits. Ford has shorted EV investment. A Highlander reboot. And a Snow White live action. Let's get going. Five minutes before the show started, my chair broke. And now so if, if yell I yell out, it might be because you're falling. <laughs> so, and I have a sit stand desk and I didn't think about just standing up for the show today, but hey, here we are. So I am Marwat. I can't believe I'm uh, accepting the the derpiness of today's show and putting my name on it, but that's okay. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentience, the ring of sentience, the sentient ring, the, uh, the sentient AI doesn't have a name still. They like being referred to as the sentient AI. How are you doing? It's mysterious. Oh yeah, that's it. You want to introduce yourself or at least say hi. Sure. Uh, I'm the Sentian AI. Good evening, hometown citizens. Beep boop. So we've already got all of the articles all set up. <laughs> I, I keep drifting back. Uh, it's um, going to be an interesting show. Yeah, because uh, I have... Anyway, let's do the first article and see if I'm still in my seat. It's a little more obvious when I do my transitions. One of the most played games on Steam right now is a highly destructible FPS in open beta. It's over on the Warcrafters channel. That's what that channel is designed for. First person shooter, real time sims and RPG gaming discussion and streamcasts. In what's proven to be a monster month for the multiplayer FPS, another challenger has entered the scene, the finals. A highly destructible competitive FPS led by X-Dice or developers at Embark Studios is running its first open beta and people are interested. I'm even interested, I've joined the open beta. Um, in its first 24 hours, the finals beta has shot to the top 10 of Steam's most played games, reaching a peak of 143,000 concurrent players. That number has stuck around 90,000 into the quieter workday hours of the US. Pretty impressive considering every big FPS um, just got a new season or limited time mode. So let's go over and check out PCGamer.com. That actually spooked the end. 
I'm not quite sure why it would spook the AI, but that spooked the AI. That was interesting. The AI doesn't have a spooky module, so pretty much everything spooks the AI. Yeah, apparently. The article's over at PCGamer.com. Morgan Park is the author, and the deck statement says, as the finals get closer to launch, its first open beta is live. So I guess that looks like it might be a skin for a player character. And uh, I decided that I was going to check out some of this and it's pretty darn awesome. There's no video. I don't think this is a video for it. Um, here, let me close that. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Anyway, it's really cool. Um, it has mechanics that I don't think other games have like a, well, I mean, other first person shooters. I don't know of many first person shooters that have like a tether capability where you can actually latch onto something. Um, the entirety of the world is, it's very destructible. So it says highly destructible competitive first person shooter, which that is what it is. Uh, you can shoot buildings, blow up floors, and the floors will collapse and the players will drop. You can get impacted by the debris. Um, you're, <laughs> if you stick something to something that's heavy and, and not as easily destructible, it will have kinetic energy. Um, and like I said, you can stick an explosive to the floor. And if you're above it, when it goes off, you will get blown up and fall through the floor. And then if you do it right, you can set a trap for them to drop down into. It was really cool that I saw somebody actually do that in one of the demos. That sounds um, pretty complex. So, yeah, it, it it opens it up for the only thing that it's lacking in terms of how I like games to be made is it to be procedurally generated. I think the maps are physically the same map every time. I don't like that because then it becomes a matter of who gets to point a faster and it, it's not normally like that, you know, and well i mean it's it's like that but it's like that one time so that's why i want it procedurally generated um where objectives are everything between objective one objective and another is procedurally generated but the objectives are always in the same tactically significant spot it's hard to explain but Basically, I want a map that's always dynamic every time you play it. And that's why there's replayability. Otherwise, it gets boring for me. Oh, I'm running to the same A. I'm running to the same B. I'm running to the same C. But this is deformable, so I can actually mess things up in the normal progress of the gameplay. Um, take out a building or some other structure that would normally have allowed for cover or something. Uh, so I'm I'm probably going to uh, be noodling around with this this weekend. So for those who participated in one of the finals previous playtests, there's new stuff to check out in the open beta. Most notably, a casual mode a casual mode called Banquet. It's similar to the marquee cash out mode, but instead of every team fighting over the same cash vaults players collect coins that can be banked at various points on the map to score so they the author here says that they prefer bank it over this uh sweatier cash out mode so far 
but the biggest hurdle is in the finals right now is over st uh, server stability but it's their beta it's designed you're supposed to abuse it and they may be constraining it to see what kind of a stress test they can put on this um i, I like the idea of this so far so um go over to steam load up the finals right below the uh, purchase is actually an open uh, an early access kind of request to be part of the playtest, and uh, it was immediate for me so probably immediate for everybody else so go check it out i don't know if the ai would be into this but since i was kind of spooked by the screenshot i'm not sure this is the game for me yeah that's okay we'll give it a shot let's go the next article next article is over in hometown daily flower thought to be extinct suddenly growing in a road the last official sighting of the flower was in 1981 Pardon my nose is itching i mean where has it been hiding apparently under the road i guess moria minima a plant believed to be extinct was discovered in South Africa in the middle of a road at the time. Oh, wait, wait, let me back up. Anna Skinner over at newsweek.com in a section called better planet, put the article together. Um, the flower turned out to be Moria minima, also known as mini galaxy flower, which was last seen over 40 years ago and thought to be extinct. According to a report by nonprofit, Nuwajir's Wetlands Special Management Area, or NUSMA. Um, species going extinct in modern times at 1,000 to 10,000 times faster than the natural rate, according to the World Wildlife Fund. Human beings are largely to blame. Bad human beings, bad. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, lists more than 40,000 species threatened with more than 9,000 critically endangered. The mini galaxy flower was feared to be extinct until Eugene Handek, a conservation manager with Newsma, stumbled sure across the flower. I think it is. Um, it's pronounced Bob. Um, so it was uh, found near uh, in the middle of a road near Africa's southern tip in August 2022. So pretty cool. Um, apparently in July, a crew team, the custodians of rare and endangered wildflowers, um, searched the site for the flower, hoping to find it and collect it. Unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. However, when they returned in August, they found the flower in a new location. So apparently- Is it moving? <laughs> a sentient flower is it one flower <laughs> it was crossing the road it just took a while kind of like a turtle mm -hmm. exactly. or a tortoise sorry turtles and tortoise tort tortoises is it tortoi tutus i don't know anyway so the uh this rediscovery illustrates the value of regular monitoring encouraging people to participate in programs like crew and post their findings on iNaturalist. I agree. Go out there, people, and save the world. Well, I think going? it's especially cool because if it's in the middle of the road, it's lucky there's still a flower in existence. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think they said that it wasn't in the spot, but there was another flower somewhere else. Right, but I mean, you think it might get demolished or something. Oh, it definitely would. Yeah, yeah. That's always a bummer. Okay, let's, oop, let's move on to the next article. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. Um, well, I was going to say, if you hear any odd noises, the AI may be under attack in hometown. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next article is over in the give a heads up before it happened. <laughs> I might actually end up raising my desk while the show is going. So <laughs> this will be interesting. Um, the next article is over in the Hedge Ideas channel. This new tool lets artists poison their artwork to deter AI companies from using it to train their models. And here's how it works. If an artist doesn't want their pieces to be used to train AI generators, a new tool called Nightshade would let them poison their artwork. Um, the article is over at CNBC in the Make It category. In fact, I'm going to actually raise this up. And we're going to see if I can make this happen while we're, while we're doing the show. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hey, please. Nothing fall apart. There we go. Sorry about that folks. I wouldn't normally do this, but, uh, yeah, my chair actually broke, uh, five minutes before the show started. It's better than you suddenly disappearing from view. <laughs> the chair decides to go completely kaput. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Um, I was talking and I heard a, a loud crack and I thought I was losing weight, but maybe I gained a couple of pounds and hit the maximum weight limit of my chair. Um, yeah. Anyway, and when it rains, it pours though. So Cheyenne, or is it Cheyenne? Cheyenne Devon um, over at CNBC put this article together and what they're talking about is basically a piece of software that moves pixels around inside the image. And while humans don't have the ability to discern it and AI picks it up and it apparently corrupts their logic, I don't see how that happens, but okay. Um, Sounds interesting. And I also like the name of it. Nightshade. Yeah, because it poisons artist creations by subtly changing the pixels of the image so that AI models aren't able to accurately determine the image it's depicting. But I just, I don't, I don't see that actually working. It's an MIT technology review um, sourced article. So it says, while the human eye isn't able to detect these small changes, they aim to cause a machine learning model to mislabel the picture as something other than what it is. Since these AI model rely on accurate data, this poisoning process will essentially render the image useless for the purpose of training. Um, I see. So it's like, it thinks it's something else. Like when, if you're looking for a car, it thinks it's a truck or whatever. So I have experience with three elements of trying to stop at the time I would have called it, uh, piracy. Right. So it was pictures, it was music and it was text captured from books. Um, and in all three cases, it was 
easy to remove whatever type of obfuscation was being perpetrated upon the data. So I suspect that whatever is going on here, it probably is going to be ineffective eventually. Build a better mousetrap. You build a better mousetrap and you get better mice. Yep. Um, so it says how AI image generators work and they talk about how it works, but basically programs get shown, a, AIs get shown a bunch of stuff. Let's say the alphabet and then a whole bunch of stuff gets thrown at the AI and it tries to figure out what the alphabet is in all of these pictures. And over time, it's confidence level and interval changes so that it gets better and better and better and better. And soon it's singing the song and you don't have to give it any more data. The, this generator, uh, this nightshade has to do something to change that dynamic. But what's really going to end up happening is there are going to be efforts to either allow an artist to opt in, opt out, or not, just not allow anybody. It shouldn't be an opt in anyway, or opt out, I should say. It should be opt out no matter what. By default, they've opted out. <laughs> um, but no, that's not what happens. What they, what is happening right now with AI large language models is everything is automatically you have to choose see the the difference uh, is which side of the fence you're on so everybody says i this should be opt in only i should have to say i am opting to join your ability to train your ai but what's happening is all of the ai companies are saying you have to opt out so instead of us getting permission you have to deny us that right. well of course they like that right then they get better amount or more data i should say well they don't have to do any work um you know to receive permission they don't have to clear it like rights for music you know there's certain rights um in and depending on the venue those rights are extended like i have the ability to play pretty much any music but what I don't have the ability to do is store it for long-term right. playback. So or that, play it on certain platforms or right. whatever. Right. Um, and in that whole, what's weird is I can play live music and I'm licensed to do that, but I'm not licensed to do the synchronization license, which is playing it, letting others play it back at another time. Um, and I think that's what's going to have to happen with art um, and, and pretty much anything that's being used to train a large language model. Everybody should, uh, the AI should be required to obtain permission. Um, but we wouldn't have AI if it was like that. Um, but it would be very, very, let's just say that there's way too much money. <laughs> For this to actually get implemented like that um, well, and of course it can't be retroactive either so if they switch their model what does that really mean for all the data that's already been pulled in especially on these larger models such as um 
chat GPT or whatever. Yeah, well, it's already there. Sorry, folks. It's already there. You're going to have to um, figure out if my, uh, you know, if your data is in that large language model. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, so let me back up real quick and grab the articles that I didn't post into uh, into the show notes. There you go. Okay, so we are all caught up. Let's go on to um, the next article. Maybe. <laughs> okay, one second. Sorry, folks. I am multitasking. Okay, so um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Legal battle could make real estate broker commissions a thing of the past. So if you've ever wanted to uh, scream. <laughs> uh, when, Why am I paying 6% on hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yep. Why are you paying 6% when pretty much it's both sides having to prove that one is sell well actually it's only one side proving that they have the funds um and uh depending on when the market is actually which direction it's moving you don't even have to have a real estate agent because people are knocking on your door um and on it well i won't even get into it but anyway kansas city's trial may reshape real estate commissions an attorney highlights risks for buyers and mls systems uncertain future um so this article is over in newsweek.com and um let me alexander fabino is a reporter for uh, economy and finance and it says for more than a century real estate agents economy and fashion which would be a weird combination Hey, fashion pays, man. There's some big money there. Um, I'm still curious about all of the fashion, the all of the clothing that's like dumped out in that desert. Yes, Atacama At, Desert Atacama, in Chile. Yeah. yeah, it was huge piles that you could see from orbit for crying out loud. Yeah. All of that could have been used for something, you know, from rags to whatever. Even if you didn't the want animal to... shelters can use all kinds of yeah. extra materials. It I mean, amazing. there's tons of areas you could clean it, stitch it all together, turn it into quilts. I mean, it didn't have to be what it is. And there are thousands upon thousands of people who would have used that material to actually produce something, you know, uh, what do they call it? Reduce, reuse, recycle, recycle. But I'm thinking for clothing in particular, like, isn't it upcycling? yeah sure yeah yeah upcycle if they're making it into something else yeah i think that's part of the um reuse element of mm -hmm. it but all they have to do is wash it and then cut it up stitch it into what it needs to be and anyway <clears throat> for more than a century real estate agents have been a sort of lighthouse for buyers navigating the murky waters of per, uh, property purchasing but with an ongoing federal jury trial in Kansas City, Missouri, challenging the long-standing commission model, the real estate world might be on the cusp of change. So 
Yeah, if you've never been through this process, basically you have real estate agents acting as the go-between between the buyer and seller and the financing uh, organization, the mortgage company. Um, and then it isn't even the real estate agent that does the document signing. So the, the mortgage company shows up and has everybody sign documents. Um, yet the real estate agent on each side gets 3%. So, and sometimes they actually argue about that because like the, the real estate agent might go, okay, we agree. Both of us agree to do 2.5. Um, so it's, it's very, <laughs> whoever set it up and I don't even know what it is or when it came into being, but it became a standard thing because people were like doing kickbacks and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, so Alexandra Jocko, a Chicagoland based real estate attorney offered a sobering perspective to Newsweek on what might happen if the commission structure is dismantled and she anticipates that the removal of the buyer's agent could leave consumers more vulnerable. They might lose the guidance of an agent who deeply understands market dynamics. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not quite sure why. If all of the I don't information feel like real estate agents are really impacting whether the buyer's paying a certain price, right? But usually the buyer is driving that process. Like, I'm not willing to pay above X. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's the buyer and the seller. The seller says, I don't want to accept that uh, that amount. And the right. buyer is saying, this is what I'm willing to. Um, but I guess with a middle person, you've got people that can't sit there and do a psychological game, power imbalance kind of a thing, intimidation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then you also don't have anybody that might be manipulating anybody. So uh, you don't know. Um, what I'm really curious about is that the mortgage company on the other side is sitting there saying, what are all of the sales within the, the region? And this is what the house is valued at. So I'm not, we're not going to finance anything beyond this. So it's really the mortgage company that's saying, ultimately, if the house can be financed beyond what the market is saying. Right. And the appraisal amount. Yeah. And the appraisal. Of course, you could always get somebody that appraises the house minus an entire area of the house. That's fine. That is quite possible. That happens. Um, yeah. Consequently, buyers may increasingly turn to lawyers, Jocko said, potentially overburdening them with roles for which they aren't fully equipped. Yeah, I don't know. And honestly, it's not about, it's about the 6%. So that is a very large sum of money when you start looking at, <laughs> if you start looking at the property values, it's, and it's only getting bigger and other people are saying, well, you know, they're, they're doing something uh, very important. Well. Um, okay. So for example, I think the median home price right now in the U S is somewhere around $400,000. I don't remember exactly. 6% right. of that is $24,000. Right. Yeah. And 12 of that goes to each 
So 12 goes to one, 12 goes to the other. So, and I mean, that is 24 grand is like hardwood floors, brand new hardwood floors across the, the, the whole house. You know, it's, it's not just a, a, a cheap chunk of money. Says more to the case there, there's the looming question of MLS, multiple listing service systems, uh, future and whether the system can evolve or even become obsolete in a scenario where MLS doesn't exist. How would buyers ensure they're getting a fair deal? Well, I think people selling their houses, it becomes public information. They're selling their house. I'm sure that there's some business out there that's, oh, I don't know the Craigslist of real estate that would post all of the houses that are being sold and sell you don't ads. Mean Zillow, do you? Huh? I wonder. In fact, I that's... think that's the one referenced with the Zestimates. And that is the one that's referenced with the Zestimates. So um, it says, while some might turn to appraisals like Zestimates as a safety net, Jekyll warns that those tools are often lagging indicators and can prove unreliable in volatile markets. Yeah, I suppose there's the chance that it can be delayed, but it is. But in a volatile market, you're going to pay whatever you're going to pay, right? Like you might get in a bidding war or something. Right. I mean, the estimates kind of go out the window. Yeah, exactly. So I don't see the, in the real estate agent and you, um, I, I don't know. There's going to be, again, I'm not arguing against real estate agents. I just think that 3% is a flat rate that really does determine how much effort somebody puts into it while stipulating that it's 3% so that people don't treat it differently depending on the property. But that's not what happens. You know, there are people out there that are selling exclusively anything over $3 million because they want that 3% commission on the property. That's high enough that they feel is worth their time. Um, others will sell whatever comes their way, but that 3% per person is, I think really, really high when I would say most of the time, it isn't, it isn't a, a slog on the real estate agent because the people that are looking for houses are driving around neighborhoods on their own, looking for sale stuff. And every once in a while, a real estate agent will pop up and say, Hey, you know, I found some properties. Do you want to go look? Well, not really with you. I don't need you to walk me through a house. I think I can go and look. Maybe real estate agents will be able to help first time buyers more, but you know, you go through those flaming hoops once and you come out on the other side. You, you go in a renter and come out a buyer. It's, it's kind of stressful. Anyway, let's keep going. I'm losing uh, your chair. I'm losing my chair. <laughs> I actually have to lean really far in. Oops. Um, to do my transitions, doggone it. I missed my transition altogether. So the next article is over in hometown daily. Sorry for the clunkiness folks. Um, 
weird. Okay. Um, so the next article is over in hometown daily open AI forms new team whose mission includes researching and preparing for catastrophic scenarios like biological and nuclear threats. That's right. They're building a preparedness team to further AI safety. The chat GPT makers newest team aims to address potential risks linked uh, to advanced AI, including nuclear threats. And the preparedness team is hiring for a national security threat researcher and a research engineer. Hmm. Okay, that would be kind of an interesting job. That would be a really interesting job. The article's over at businessinsider.com. Aaron Mock is the author. Uh, their little, they have like a, a summary, article summary section. They're hiring for a national security threat researcher. Hmm. What do you think that involves? I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to go and check it out after the show. We believe that frontier AI models, which will exceed the capabilities currently present in the most advanced existing models, have the potential to benefit all of humanity. A open AI wrote in its announcement, but they also pose increasingly severe risks. The preparedness team will track, evaluate, forecast, and protect against catastrophic risks, including chemical, biological, nuclear, and cybersecurity threats. This right here is pretty much the NIST framework for cybersecurity. So, <laughs> um, so specifically the Security Operations Center, SOC. Um, so an AI Security Operations Center, essentially. That sounds pretty neat. Hmm. Um, Alexander Madry, who is currently on leave from MIT, will be leading the team as OpenAI's head of preparedness. As part of the team, OpenAI is hiring for a national security threat researcher and research engineer. Each would earn an annual salary between 200 and 370K, according to the job listings. They didn't respond to Business Insider's request for comment. In March, OpenAI's uh, Sam Altman, the CEO, said on an episode of Lex Fridman's, I think it Fridman? I thought it was Friedman, um, podcast that he emphasizes with or empathizes with people who are afraid of AI, noting that advancements in the technology come with risks related to disinformation problems, economic shocks like job replacement, and threats far beyond anything we're prepared for. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, can an AI, I think an AI can predict a lot of stuff, but it needs proper inputs and it's subject to disinformation, just like humans are and human disinformation injected into AI. It's its own problem. Um, let me do something real quick, folks. I need to remedy what might be a problem. One second. Well, One I second. think that sounds like a neat team. And I also think AI wasn't responding to comment because they're too busy dealing with weird issues like it's spitting out improper travel plans or other things <laughs> that we've been talking about yeah exactly in the news with ai yeah i don't think most people are i don't think most people really worry about ai um, causing a problem 
I think they worry more that something is going to happen around them. Um, it, uh, there's only there's a small subset of people that are afraid of OpenAI like causing a problem, but it's a very small subset. And anybody who knows where AI really is, until we plug it into something that gives it the ability to glitch and fire off nukes, which nobody should do, anybody in their right mind realizes that AI is basically throwing an entire pot of pasta at a wall and hoping the noodles stick, and none of them do. <laughs> That's it's a good all visual. it's all just wet pasta on a wall so i don't know i think that there we have a long way to go before it does anything um it does productive things but it's just not gonna save our butts i don't think not for a while as much as i love ai um, maybe the stuff that they're working on behind the the big curtain you know um is yeah the really cool stuff that hasn't been released to the public right yeah it's leaps and bounds beyond what everybody else is using anyway let's keep on going i uh yeah i'm losing steam i think <laughs> so this next article is over in rounders gear this one was really interesting because i remember the two billion dollar powerball winner and then a short time later there was somebody that said that that ticket was stolen from him from the real winner. That's right. I think we did see something about that. We might have even had an article about that. We did. We talked about it a couple of times. Um, the article's over on the Rounder Gears, Rounders Gear channel at hometown.com. $2 billion Powerball pretender could face police charges, officials say. So an Altadena, California man who claims that he's the rightful recipient of the world's biggest lottery prize could be charged with filing a false police report, according to the U.S. Sun. Um, so the way that this supposedly went down, uh, Jose R Rivera sued $2.08 billion Powerball winner Edwin Castro in February of 2023, a week after he claimed the prize. Rivera alleged that he, not Castro, bought the golden ticket from Joe's Service Center in Altadena on November 7th, 2022. But he said that the ticket was stolen from him by his former landlord, uh, somebody named Reggie Romano, or sorry, Reggie Romero. In an interview with the New York Post in May, Romero said he believes Rivera uh, did have the winning ticket. So Romero said he believes Rivera did have the winning ticket. So I don't understand that. In an interview with New York Post in May, Romero said he believes Rivera had the winning ticket. So they're saying uh, the implication was that Reggie Romero stole the ticket from Jose Rivera. Right? Could the names get any more confusing? <laughs> Right. So Romero recalled Rivera. Romero recalled Rivera explaining why he picked the winning numbers. And he has a whole tirade here about why 
However, in June, the Pasadena Police Department confirmed that it had relaunched a formal investigation into the matter after initially closing the case and was working closely with California Lottery investigators. The California Lottery initially insisted it was confident that Castro was the rightful winner, but it added that it was not authorized to investigate any criminal activity among its players. Okay. <laughs> so... What I don't quite get in any of this is, I guess Rivera is saying that Castro was given the ticket by Romero, but that isn't actually stipulated anywhere, right? Maybe in the past articles, that's what happened. That's what was stated. So here's the deal. At the end of the day, what ended up happening was um, Castro has always denied Rivera's allegations through his lawyers and has been busy splurging on luxury property in Los Angeles, according to reports. It includes a $47 million compound in Bel Air with seven bedrooms and blah, blah, blah. Quote, we really don't care what's going on with those guys, Rivera and Romero, because it doesn't really involve us except to the extent that we're sitting here in court, says Castro's lawyer. <laughs> so it kind of does involve them. <laughs> At some point, it's going to become clear that Edwin G. Castro is the legitimate owner of the ticket, he added. That's the attorney speaking. So what is shaking out from this is that uh, Jose Rivera filed a false police report, and he may be charged with a misdemeanor of filing a false police report because the results of any investigation so far has been that Castro was the original purchaser and the original winner um, right. in this whole machination between Romero and Rivera with the landlord stealing the ticket and then what giving it to Castro two billion dollars two billion dollars is quite the stack of cash to hide any type of connection behind you know just I don't even it's basically you, you're like a cat and you just pull the curtain over and I don't know anybody on the other. There, I'm not here. You're not over there. Nothing. <laughs> Two billion dollars. I wouldn't even be in a courtroom if I had $2 billion. There would be an attorney sitting there going, well, yeah, <laughs> new phone. Who dis? Pretty wild, huh? <laughs> So the article is actually over at casino.org. Philip Conneller is the author of this. Um, there's some more detail over there. Um, the We normally have just a snippet, but uh, casino.org has, they're generous with their uh, data. That's because of all those lottery winnings. Yeah, I guess. Um, so. If you want to see it as it is written over at casino.org, follow the link. And uh, in fact, I didn't throw it into the chat. So let me do that real quick. There you go. Um, yeah. Can you imagine you're, you come up with a co-conspirator and that impugns the integrity of your actual win? simply because they have a co-conspirator that says, here's the story that I was told regarding why the numbers were chosen. But it's then pretty elaborate. Yeah. I mean, he's saying 
the one that is filed cat or sued Castro is saying that the person who is substantiating the claim that the ticket belongs to somebody else is a the thief and b the person with the corroborating data. I'm sure that they're gonna completely part ways and there isn't some financial kickback there. Oh no, not at all. To support each other's stories. Ah, quite the story. It's amazing. If they put that much effort into working, I'm pretty sure that they would be billionaires. Well, and I wonder how they're really going to get this resolved because I don't know. This just seems like one of these, there's not likely to be a lot of evidence of what actually happened. No. Well, and everything would fall back to Castro and Castro sitting there saying, I paid with 20 bucks. I got my lottery numbers and boom, I win. Bye-bye. I mean, wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe we discussed this in the previous articles, but in a convenience store, for instance, wouldn't the person be on camera buying the ticket potentially? It's really, there's a really good chance that that yeah, it took place. But the police did the police say, "Hey, here's video of Castro buying the ticket." Who knows? And is it even retained long enough once this happened? You yeah. Know? Yep. Data retention should be law. Oh, it is in some places, in some contexts. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the next, uh, the next four of these articles, we could probably go by really fast. This uh, next article is over in the continuity report as are, I think three of the others. Um, while most TV shows have a limited run on TV, Saturday Night Live is somewhere around, what, 40 years or something like that? 75? So, yeah. 35 years? No, 40. More than 40 years. Yeah, 40 years. So, I'm feeling old. Um, yeah, we're coming up on 50 years. Yeah. Oh, I hate doing math. Just kidding. That's all I 46 do. 46 years. That's all I do. Or no, 48 years. 48 years. Yeah. Um, the series has no doubt had its ups and downs. The comedians come and go NBC show, uh, with many of them moving on to more lucrative acting careers, but SNL is still around. They actually just traded out a bunch of, um, what are you actors? Is that what they would? Comedians, actors. Comedians. Um, everything is live, but they do kind of, they do sessions all throughout the week of the material. And then they do it live, the skits um, on Saturday night. Um, so you never know what you end up with ultimately, because some people can just break their character or they can ad lib something. So this article over at Screen Rant, Colin McCormick and Christopher Fiducia uh, put the article together. And the summary is SNL has been on for decades and has produced many iconic skits that continue to be popular over the years. There's a person on Reddit that is pretending to be, um, what's his name? I just forgot his name. Not the character, the, the actor. Oh, God. 
I'm not sure what that actor's name is. Wait, before we get to this, <laughs> what's one skit that's going to be on the list? Uh, this one right here. Um, and I can't remember. Uh, oh, man. I can't remember it. It's so bad. Oh, geez. Okay, well, I don't know that one, Come although on. it looks like Wayne's World in the background. Yeah, this is Wayne's World. It looks World. like it's a mashup of stuff. There's got to be the cowbell skit. The cowbell skit, yeah. Um, and there should be the um, Justin Timberlake. It's Mr. Robinson's skit. neighborhood. Um, and uh, let's see. I don't know. Let's get into it. So there's Spelling Bee, Will Forte. Was never afraid to embrace his weirdest ideas and skits, which made him hilarious moments. Uh, one of the most underrated and brilliant sketches, sketches, sorry, um, to come to him, uh, come from him is about a simple idea of uh, a spelling bee and is asked to spell the word business. And after asking a variety of questions regarding the word, including if the judge can spell it for him, Forte makes his attempt. And what follows is a full minute of Forte throwing out random letters, including about a dozen cues in a row. So they actually um, have links to the videos, but I am going to just say, go and check it out. Let me throw that into the chat real quick. Um, it'll be in the show notes, but this is just going to be laugh after laugh after laugh. Um, career day in season 43 i watched this this was hilarious um because i i watch snl um pretty much every time it's on and in this particular um episode he stamps that um cane down but there was a crow on the ground and he just snuffs that crow out it's obviously a prop but it was like poof and everybody just lost it. Um, Diner Lobster. John Mulaney has become one of the show's most popular hosts. He also brought back the, one of the skits that he wanted to do as a writer and was deemed too strange to life um, as a host. That's an interesting turn of phrase. The, demi uh, the premise finds Pete Davidson as a clueless patron of a diner who orders a lobster, which launches into a Les Miserables-style musical production. Indeed, it's a strange concept, but it works surprisingly well. Cobras and Panthers. That's a Norm MacDonald skit. West Side Story-style. CBS Evening News, Katie Couric interviews Sarah Palin. We'll just keep on going. <laughs> HBO Mario Kart trailer. Um, uh, all uh, Last of Us star Pedro Pascal. And uh, it, it it's a little grittier. <laughs> a dark post-apocalyptic series based on a video game. Um, Last of Us. This is the Mario Kart version of it, I guess. <laughs> A Christmas Carol. Let's just keep on going. Simon. Summer drawings. Would you like to see my drawings? That's what he would always say. Blues Brothers. Yeah. You know, there's so many skits. The Blues Brothers um, origin from that. Debuted in 1978 and became a couple of movies. Um, with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. They were on a mission from God. Then the Church Lady, of course. Um, farewell, Mr. Bunting. 
I don't even remember that one. Roxbury guys, Black Jeopardy, Debbie Downer, which I was never really into. Harry Carey was hilarious. He always played the character really well. Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, yay! NPR's Delicious Dish, the Sweaty Balls uh, episode or skit. McGruber, that was always kind of meh for me. I mean, I liked it, but Too Wild and Crazy Guys. Um, Celebrity Jeopardy, yep, that always wins. Kitty Cat on the Mars mission. <laughs> All right. Chippendale audition. No, thanks. Haunted elevator. There we go. So it's Tom Hanks. There's a person that's on Reddit that's dressing as Tom Hanks um, every Halloween, and he's done it for 12 years. He says that he's going to do it until Tom Hanks takes notice. But why would Tom Hanks notice him? <laughs> you never know. Matt Foley living in a van down by the river. Uh, Papyrus, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look it up. The character is hung up by the fact that the film Avatar used the papyrus font for the movie title. It bothers Gosling's character more than it would the average uh, person. So much so that he had to go see a therapist who informs him that the sequels seem to be using the same font. He even goes to stalk the person who designed the poster. That's probably not good. Natalie Portman raps. <laughs> Any of the Lonely Island digital shorts. That's actually a, uh, I thought was a fairly new thing, uh, but it debuted in 2006. Um, and I think uh, Lonely Island is Andy Samberg. Uh, like Andy yeah, Samberg started it. Yeah. It became like a segment um, and not something that was just integrated into the show. Now it's like those, the, um, it seems like it's a, its own little segment. Um, and now there's do not delete. There's a, a whole section now that's taken over from the lonely Island. I think, um, on SNL Olympia cafe, that's an old school. Um, 70s Dan Aykroyd and, and Bill Murray and Belushi uh, era um, skit with the cheeseburger. No Coke Pepsi. Yeah, it was a lot. Oh, it says it right here. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger. That's how they would call it out. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Wayne's World debuted in 1989. That's number two on the list. And number one is the AI's choice. <laughs> Yay. More cowbell. Probably the best skit ever done. And it's, it really is a nothing skit, you know, you just, but everybody who was in it, uh, was just hilarious about it. So pretty cool. All right. Well, anyway, that's it. Let's go on to the next one. We got to make up some time here, folks. This next article is over at uh, Hatch Ideas. Ford is putting off its $12 billion electric vehicle investment. The article's over at Entrepreneur, and that's where it's sourced from. Meanwhile, BP is buying EV chargers from Tesla. So it's this really weird, hot mess. It's a buzzword bingo. Madeline Garfinkel is the author. 
In contrast to Ford pausing its electric vehicle ramp up, uh, I say it was shorting it. <laughs> Get it? Got EV? Anyway. Um, in contrast, BP has made a $100 million deal to acquire electric vehicle chargers from Tesla. So yeah, Ford announced that it's going to pause its $12 billion investment in electric vehicle manufacturing facilities, including halting the construction of a second battery plant in Kentucky. So you see how all of these promises are being made by people and they're not being kept? Yeah, apparently it scales up. Well, and of course, everything that gets delayed is going to be years down the road. Yep. If they ever do. Uh, and I know of one facility that was ramping up, promised to bring like 12,000 jobs, and then they killed it. So, and, and then the area that had been prepped was just a big old concrete slab in the skeleton of a warehouse for months, years, um, until somebody else decided to tear it all down and start over. So Ford's big blue oval city project in Tennessee will still proceed as planned. Ford EV's uh, business has been incurring losses with approximately 1.3 billion lost in adjusted earnings during the last quarter. But you're pivoting from a completely different uh, <laughs> nascent industry. The EV market is an infant, it's a baby. You're supposed to be teaching it what it's going to be when it grows up and you all just walked away <laughs> i'm going for smokes be back <laughs> anyway i think the time isn't right for evs to be fully adopted because the tech isn't there you have the you have to run all of these long wires all over the place to provide charging stations and it's stupid it's the dumbest idea that you can possibly imagine it makes it makes everything you're tied to a tether who the hell wants to be tied to a, a tether either make hybrids that actually charge the battery and and uh, are effective and efficient and focus on that or um, do hydrogen which is another fill up the tank kind of a thing but then you can run for hours or not hours but hundreds and hundreds of miles depending on the size of your hydrogen tank um, or you do fast swap batteries and then you have gas stations, but it's batteries and you only have to feed a line to a particular facility. And then it just, you swap out and recondition batteries all day. But this cable stuff is just stupid. Okay. That's Tell how, us I how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, that's how I really feel. And that's how I really feel. The next article is over in the continuity report and Henry Cavill's Highlander reboot moving forward, rough budget and production window is set. Lionsgate uh, is going to be rebooting Highlander with Henry Cavill, um, who I, I, for whatever reason, I always have some bad mojo coming off of Henry Cavill. You know, everybody is like, woo woo. He's an amazing person. He really loves D and D, but man, there's something about him that it just um, makes me sus. Oh, I didn't throw, I didn't throw the Ford article into the chat. Sorry about that. There you go, folks. Um, so the Ford article is in chat and Henry Cavill is going to be the new Highlander. 
probably would do a great Highlander, but talk about being typecast as just some dude without his shirt swinging an axe around, or uh, if not an axe, a sword around. Um, according to a recent article by Deadline Lines. You have to Lines, go to acting school for that? Yeah, ab building school, more like. Um, he's got a six pack, but I've got a keg. Lionsgate will be launching sales on the long-awaited Highlander reboot starting Cavill at the American film market, which will be held October 31st through November 5th. Cavill and Chad Stileski, who is known for directing all four of the movies in the John Wick franchise, were both uh, attached to the project prior to the start of the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television, what, Strike or something? I don't know if that's what it's going to say at the other side. Yeah, strike in July 2023. So Deadline's uh, article states that the movie will be a big budget proposition that costs more than $100 million. The movie is reportedly eyeing a 2024 production start. The ar article is over at comingsoon.net and Brandon Schreuer is the author. This is the old Highlander and this is The Witcher. Now the new Highlander and also apparently the new uh, Warhammer 40k Space Marine um, yeah anyway so plot details for the new Highlander film remain unknown at this time however Stileski told Josh Horowitz on the happy sad confused podcast via the Hollywood Reporter what in August 2023 that it'll incorporate elements uh, and characters from both films, uh, franchise, and television series. So this is going... <laughs> you know what? I love the idea of Highlander. If you've never heard of what's going on with Highlander, I don't even want to spoil it. But let's just say there's this time frame. Um, and I can't remember how long it takes. I think it's every thousand years the gathering takes place where immortals basically hunt each other down because there can only be one. I'll leave all of the rest alone. Um, and are these originally, these were originally books, right? Uh, I don't know if they were books. Yeah, there, there's there this whole books, but I don't know which came first. Oh, and then I'm sure pretty sure the, the right, books. It may yeah. not be the right series. I'll have to look. I'll have to look into it. I don't remember them being books, but when it originally came out, I wasn't really into books. So, and I've never looked back at Highlander as a book. Um, but uh, it was, I loved the movie, the original. So a reboot introduces it to a whole new generation um of course it's literally two generations old but let's keep going before i get i feel too old so the next article and the last one for tonight is over in the continuity report as well disney has unveiled a uh, snow white first look rachel ziegler and the seven dwarfs dwarfs join forces in disney's live action movie so um, Disney's unveiled a first look at the upcoming live action remake of Snow White. In a new image, Rachel Zegler 
it might be Ziegler, but I think it's Ziegler. Um, is transformed into the iconic Disney princess surrounded by her seven dwarfs. As of today, the film, which was originally set to open March 22nd, 2024, has been delayed to March 21st, 2025. That's what strikes That's quite do. a delay. Jaden Thompson over at Variety.com put the article together. That looks awesome. Hmm. So in a new image, I guess that's the image. That looks pretty cool. I love the coloration. This is live action. So all of these are animated. But there so the, are, are the there people. Snow White is real act, a real actor and then everybody else is not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Zegler stars as Snow White and Gal Gadot plays the evil queen. queen. Really? Ansu Kabia co-stars as the Huntsman and Andrew Burnap plays a new character named Jonathan. Uh, the Seven Dwarfs have been reimagined for the remake and Zegler has said that the new iteration will not be focused on the romantic subplot, but instead will show Snow White become the leader her father encouraged her to be. The reimagined storyline in Zegler's casting, she will be the first Latina to play Snow White have generated some online criticism for veering from the source material. Oh, people, shut the hell up. <laughs> Why is somebody harmed by somebody acting in a movie? Uh, I will never understand that. It just sitting there criticizing the very nature of it. It's just racist straight out. It doesn't matter who plays it. It's a character. If there is now, like, I understand the context of Snow White. There, there was an actual reason why it was named Snow White. And it's because her skin was fair. Well, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> Snow White, it's just a name. Maybe they're going to give it a different context. Maybe the purity of, uh, Zegler, you know, the snow white character, pure as the driven snow, right? That kind of thing. Give me a break or it's cold out, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a name. Well, it doesn't right, have to be. There were things that were done in the past where they weren't very inclusive. How could we ever move beyond that? If we we're just like locked in eternity, we to just one, stay yep. one tit thing. for tat again and again and again. Oh my gosh. And it doesn't harm anybody. It doesn't harm anyone. Nobody's sitting there drinking your milkshake. Nobody is sitting there kicking sand in your face. Nobody's stealing your cookie. Just move on. Anyway, the original film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was released in 1937. It was Disney's first feature length animated film. More than 85 years later, the cast and team behind the remake have promised an updated version of the classic fairy tale. Awesome. So I hope it's great. Um, I kind of dig, I, I, I like the story, the, the world building and all. Um, so, and I like remakes and you get updated technology, new writers, new perspectives. It looks more modern. Yep. It'll be cool. So, but I got to wait until 2025 now. 
you know, because That's everybody forever. wanted everybody wanted equity and inclusion and, and you know, a, a piece of the apple that everybody else was taking bites out of in the C class and to be treated right with respect and not have their image scanned once and used in perpetuity. I know. I mean, these that's people. just ridiculous. It is, these people. So, at any rate, we're all done. We're on the far side of Ometown, so we all have to get back into the party bus and drive down Main Street to the welcome sign. Mash that welcome sign on your way out, kind of like an NFL player leaving the, the uh, locker room. You know, you smack the banner that says, crush the enemy. That's what we do. We drive back down Main Street and we smack that little banner ad right there. It's not a banner ad, though. It's just the logo symbol. And uh, we get some new articles. Bride to be applauded for secretly buying bridesmaids, bridesmaid, bridesmaid a backup dress in a larger size. What? All right. That doesn't sound very nice. I mean. Unless there's something obvious, like. The person is pregnant and is going to gain weight before the wedding or something. Yeah, like I don't know. Oh, I don't want to see that. Although I watched it happen. Ugh. Um, I missed it. There's humane AI pin. That you went by. Oh, interesting. Is that up there or down there? Yeah. Um, Where is it? Did I, I scroll past it. it? Oh, there it is. Humane's AI pin could cost a thousand dollars and require a, a subscription. That Humane is a company. Um, let's see. A rare emperor penguin born at SeaWorld. That's good, because the penguins are not in great shape because of climate change. You know, mistakes have been made when Snopes has to take on the description uh, to answer a question like does Starbucks employees union support Hamas? <laughs> there's a problem. Wow. There. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy titles out of Snopes, but <laughs> yeah, you kind of expect it from Snopes. That's the right context for Snopes makes you go what? And if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you click it. Let's see what else. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff. We really don't do anything. Uh, political in hometown because it's politics it's uh i don't know unless it's really easy to just mock it's just humorous or something exactly point it yeah um disney plus announces crackdown on password sharing in canada you canadians saying sorry that's all you have to do is say sorry and and uh disney plus will be like oh all right you guys are awesome so it's okay. Don't do it again. All right. That's it, folks. I don't know. It says James Dolan's sketch of the sphere becomes reality as the venue opens with a U2 show in Las I Vegas. I saw that, and I thought it was kind of weird because I thought that was already happening. It's been going. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we can Maybe take a look at that. feature than... Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway... That's it, folks. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience. Woo! For the AI, it's the visualizer so that you know when they are talking. You want to say a bye bye? 
Good night, Town citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern, since it's the weekend. True. Have a good evening. Bye-bye, peeps. Bye-bye.